Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 973 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, June the 28th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show, of course, at Locked On Raptors as well. And please make sure to subscribe to, rate, review, support all of the other Locked On shows covering the teams that you care about. The Stanley Cup playoffs are now moving into the finals. You've got Locked On Canadiens and Locked On Lightning covering those teams wonderfully. Uh, of course, in the NBA, we've got the teams in the playoffs still being covered every single day, along with the draft coverage ramping up across the network. So if there's a team that you're particularly interested in, perhaps after the lottery results this week, go and tune in to the corresponding Locked On show where they're breaking it down every single day for you. All right, on today's show... Before we begin a week where we're going to take a look at the top prospects in this year's draft right in the range of your Toronto Raptors at number four, we are going to do a little thought experiment here, and we're going to talk about Ben Simmons and whether or not, maybe, just maybe, the Raptors could be the team to reclaim him, turn him around, maximize his talents, hide some of his weaknesses, all of that and more and all of the above. We're going to dig into that today and sort of talk about the question of whether the Raptors should perhaps pursue some sort of trade for Ben Simmons this offseason. Joining me to do so is one of our favorites here from Dime, from Dishes and Dimes, from my other podcast, uh, Basketball, where we are co-hosts. It is Katie Heindel. Katie, what's up? Hi, man. Uh, not much. Uh, I turned my fan off for our recording, so I might get a little warm. <laughs> I appreciate the commitment. Uh, I, I do. It's kind of uh, insane how often podcasts I find are affected by the fact that people have to turn fans and or AC units off during. Everyone in podcasting should get central air, I think is the, the point here. Well, I have um, central air, but I'm in a room <laughs> on the third floor that it just doesn't make it to. Uh, I gotcha. Yeah. That's like our entire apartment. We technically have central air as well, but we're on the second floor of a building that wasn't really meant to have three apartments. Mm -hmm. And so our vents just are, it's like weak and sad. Our, our AC situation is very, very bad. I, I just deal with it. Don't put on fans. Cause I don't like the noise pollution. I'm always thinking about audio quality. Katie. <laughs> um, but anyway, let's uh, let's dig into Ben Simmons, shall we? We're going to talk about a whole bunch of different angles here. We're going to get into whether the Raptors could be the team to potentially maximize him, what you would be comfortable with uh, in terms of a package going to Philadelphia to bring him into Toronto, the sort of roster construction in which he would best work and how it all kind of relates to the draft and everything as well. Um, but, Katie, we should probably start with just like talking about what we think about Ben Simmons as a basketball player. He is... I think polarizing, maybe less polarizing now. It's kind of just like our friend John Wilmus and uh, a couple other people who are like on the pro Simmons bandwagon. And the rest of, you know, basketball viewers really seem to be kind of down. I think it's probably a little bit of recency bias. Obviously, the playoffs tend to make things uh, a little bit more hyperbolic than they should probably be when it comes to guys. But Ben Simmons was quite bad in that series against the Hawks. Of course, the dunk that he didn't shoot, uh, he decided to pass off. They got one free throw out of it. 
You've got the fact that he took three shots in the fourth quarter of the entire series, a seven-game series. That's a lot of fourth-quarter minutes and not a lot of Ben Simmons shots. It's uh, it's rough going if you're Ben Simmons right now. But Katie, sort of looking at the bigger picture, what do you view Ben Simmons as? Do you think he is sort of the point guard that he professes himself to be, has professed, professed himself to be up to this point? Do you think he's something different? What's your sort of read on Ben Simmons now as he kind of is sitting at maybe the lowest he has reputation-wise during his NBA career? I will say that I was actually kind of pleasantly surprised these playoffs uh, by one aspect of Ben Simmons, like abilities, which is his defensive capabilities. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I don't know if it's just, I hadn't really closely watched him (laughs) and, and like in these kinds of tense situations before, but like he's a phenomenal defensive player. So that's my silver lining to his otherwise pretty mediocre performance in the playoffs. Um, I don't think he's a point guard. He's clearly not comfortable there. Granted, like great Mm -hmm. passer, but yeah. you got to do a couple more things to be like a real elite point guard. And I think in a league stacked with so many point guards who are themselves just like the most individualized styles of players, you know, and like kind of build their identities up on being a point guard. Ben Simmons is too uncomfortable at that position, I think, to really get into that echelon. And if he's not in that echelon, then it's like he's not unfortunately in the NBA, he's not attractive Mm. as a point guard for many teams. So get out of the point guard position, Ben. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I don't know. Otherwise it did. It sucked. I felt, I feel bad for him. I don't, I'm not like in the camp of people who's like, he's trash. Like he played pretty poorly, but he's a good player in a lot of other regards. And I think he's just like, it was a bummer to see him in positions where he lacked like just seems so mentally shaken up, mm-hmm. you know, and like couldn't just his decision making is out the window. Like he just did not want any of the like crunch time pressure or like any pressure in the paint, really, you know, like when you're kind of deflecting and looking to pass instead of shoot because you don't want to end up at the line. Like if that's the thought process that he has right now, like it's a it's a bummer. Yeah, Katie, I know you love baseball a lot, and so it is very much like a like a yip situation where a dude I don't even know first base. what that like, means. <laughs> what, you liking baseball? No, what's Come yips? On, it's yips. So there's a phenomenon in baseball called the yips where a guy who has been a perfectly cromulent infielder his entire career will just forget how to throw to first base for some reason. Maybe he makes like a really terrible throw and it throws him off forever, but like... Players have had to, like, change positions and in many cases, like, retire because they could no longer feel the position because they couldn't just throw to the base. It's very, very bizarre. And that is kind of what it feels like happened a little bit with the shooting in Ben Simmons, where, I mean, that dunk is just, like, the obvious case. That's Chuck Knobloch airmailing a throw from third base into the first row. It's just, you know, it's hard to know if that's ever going to kind of recover and come back. I'm with you, though. I think Ben Simmons has a lot of good qualities. The defense is obviously... Uh, insanely good. He was, I think, a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year. He was all defense again this season, I believe a second straight season, and it's totally deserved. It, you know, it's he made All-NBA last season mostly on the strength of his defense as well. It's not like we're talking about some hump who has no positive qualities to provide to a team. I just wonder if this year in particular, because offense was so through the roof and we're seeing in this postseason like offense very clearly being a more determining factor of success than defense I wonder if this environment just is not suited for Ben Simmons and that brings about the question of 
is the next five years of the NBA going to continue this upward trend of offenses kind of taking over and being historically great year over year? And if so, like where does Ben Simmons fall into that? And maybe it's just he continues to de-escalate his value because his offense is just not there. Or are we looking at the sort of peak before kind of a natural snapping back to normal? We've seen it all the time in NBA history. You'll have like these offensive outbursts and then things will even out. Maybe there's a rule change that kind of changes things up and it kind of tips the scales back in favor of the defense. And if that ever happens, I think Ben Simmons becomes a much more useful player. I mean, we're two years removed from the Raptors winning the title with one of the most like incredible, impenetrable defenses of all time. That was their calling card. And even that Raptors team, I'm unsure if they would have had the offensive juice in this postseason. They probably would have. What are we talking about? Like Kawhi, Pascal, you know, Marcus All. It was an amazing team. But, you know, I, I think the defense clearly carried them in a lot of ways in that season. And I'm just not sure defense can carry teams the way it used to. And so that brings the whole sort of question of what Ben Simmons is going to be into focus. Like, I don't know. It's hard to say. We don't know what rule changes are going to come about. But where are you at in sort of looking at the landscape of the league and if things continue like this does that make you more concerned about Ben Simmons finding some sort of role where he can kind of be his best self or do you think his offensive limitations are just going to continue to become more and more of a liability the same way that you know in 2014 in the NBA if you're an awful defender you just can't be on the floor like it's it's that kind of thing where where are you at on that um, so I'm kind of at on this where I fall with like a lot of these arguments which is you can't it's very hard I think like pretty close to impossible nor do i think it's useful to judge players out of context or like judge mm. them within the context of the team that is the backdrop you know like the system that they're sure. in uh so in the sixer system yeah he this isn't this isn't a place where simmons is going to thrive it's not a place where he's going to really develop any of his other skills is he'll probably get worse offensively uh, because mm. there's just like <laughs> his lack of confidence and the lack of supporters seeming like there's they're not it's tough because i i'm I'm gonna say like oh they're not gonna they're not catering to him i don't think they should have to cater solely to him but that's kind of the, mm-hmm. the catch of it is like it's just not a system that he can really work with him there are a lot of other teams that i think could provide that for him but i think by providing that for him they would have to focus on some of those other aspects of his game and kind of hope mm-hmm. that the shooting comes along i mean pair him with like an excellent shoot coach and have him like work on those things but don't have him have to play in game and focus on those things, you know, in the interim while he's developing that, I think would be my approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, the league goes through a lot of ebbs and flows. Yeah. I think we've seen in these playoffs, like the offensive caliber of the teams that are th- really thriving and the successful players on those teams, especially a lot of those are like next gen players. So yes, to your point, I think it is ushering in what we can comfortably say is going to be like the new look NBA for the next, like, I don't know, three Three years seems like a generous considering how quickly things change. But on that yeah. note too, like because things change so quickly, the only way to like adapt to that kind of offensive energy is by defensive adjustments too. So no, I don't think defense goes completely out the window. I think it just is going to have to evolve and catch up. So in that situation, there are a lot of places Ben Simmons could end up because he does have that kind of elite defensive mind, I think think and he he's very fluid about it is is like one of the only things about his game that he doesn't seem to second guess <laughs> you know so i think yeah. probably lean into that and there's like there's plenty of teams who still like yes the raptors defense this season was like unrecognizable um not anything like the calling card of 
of the championship run or even the season after that. But I think that's still a laurel that they will hope to be able to rest on, you know, or help to help Mm -hmm. them in their game to be generative of their offense, especially with all the new players that they have. Um, You know, so that could be a fit for somebody like Ben. Yeah, so we're going to dig into the potential fit of Ben Simmons with the Raptors. Katie's just a wonderful, like doing the host job from the the, the, the co-host chair. Just team me up for the transition. Uh, so thank you, Katie. We're going to get into that and talk about the potential fit with the Raptors in one second here. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar who are making the best tasting protein bars money can buy. They have nine amazing flavors in their staple lineup, as well as the occasional limited time flavor that circulates out there as well. Currently, the one I have in my fridge, the limited time flavor, is Grasshopper Cookie. It's like a mint girl guide cookie. It's freaking delicious. It's so good. And uh, as is the case with all other Built Bars, it's both great tasting and healthy for you, too. It's got 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, just 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs in most of their flavors. And if you're not sure what your favorite flavor is, you can fire up a mix box where you get two of each of the nine main staple flavors, and then you can decide from there which one you want to get a full box of. You're going to want mint brownie. It's really, really good. I don't know what to say. Uh, go right now to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, before we continue on to talk about Ben Simmons and his potential fit with the Toronto Raptors, let's first remind you that the road to the finals on the Lockdown Podcast Network is brought to you by our friends over at Michelob Ultra at just 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. We can all enjoy the playoff games a little bit more this season. Be sure to tune in to Locked On Bucks, Locked On Hawks, Locked On Suns, and Locked On Clippers to get all the lowdown on the conference finals on the road to the NBA finals with Michelob Ultra. All right, Katie. Ben Simmons, the potential fit with the Raptors. Uh, As you mentioned, there are certainly some environments in which his skills will be a little bit more highlighted or where his deficiencies can be hidden a little bit. I would actually argue that maybe the Sixers are perhaps the worst situation for him in the entire NBA, considering what Joel Embiid needs, what Joel Embiid sort of does on the floor and the opportunities that what Joel Embiid does open up elsewhere on the floor, namely a lot of open shooters from double teams and stuff like that. It's just there's not really a lot of utility for a guy who just can't shoot and refuses to sort of leverage the gravity of a, of an Embiid into offensive uh, capability. And so, yeah, the Sixers fit isn't very good. I think we can pretty much declare that the process is not going to bear fruit in the original way in which it was intended around Simmons and Embiid as the two backbones of a championship team. And so I'm sure the the Sixers, as much as they're trying to reclaim the value of Simmons and walk back all their post-game meanness towards him after Game 7, it seems like they're on the track to move him. If the Raptors were to get involved, I do think there is a, a fit there. And Maybe this is me doing off-season brain and just spending my time talking myself into things because that's what I do. That's what a lot of people do in the off-season. It's just how it is. But I do think there's lots of reasons to think that, okay, Ben Simmons on the Raptors, you put him in a very specific position, you pair him with specific types of players, which the Raptors have, and maybe, just maybe, you're looking at a guy who can kind of maximize his talents and limit the ways in which he hurts a team. Particularly, I think... 
as a center, that's kind of what Ben Simmons is going to be long term. Like he doesn't shoot. That's usually the position you can hide someone who doesn't shoot. He's a good passer. That's usually, especially in the postseason, an asset to have is a center who can make plays in open space. I mean, he's so good in transition. Imagine him in like mini transition, I suppose, or just with the space transition provides. If he's screening for a ball handler, the ball handler sees two defenders and you can kind of slip that short roll pass to Ben Simmons and boom, you got him working at a four on three from the top of the key that's pretty dangerous and pretty fun sounding and so I think that's the position for him Katie are you kind of thinking the similar way like is center the way forward for Ben Simmons and under the Raptors obviously you know we've seen the center play they've had in recent years you know the Marcus Alser Jabaka was certainly a different kind of center uh, when the Raptors had them both do you think Ben Simmons has any sort of utility as uh, a five or is there a different role for him that you kind of see working on the Raptors um, it would be an interesting adjustment for the Raptors because I think just like, I mean, granted, I do always forget how big Ben Simmons is, but he doesn't play. Yeah, he's huge. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't really play in that way. He's got a, a much mm-hmm. like he's got a quickness about him. So I think like that could be a little bit interesting. Granted, the Raptors would have to change a lot of things, I think, given the fact that like we saw what not having like a, a capable like big man at that position did to them this season. Um, so I don't know that there would be like immediately set up for someone like Simmons. I'd more like to see him at a stretch four kind of position. I don't think that's a position he's been asked. Like, well, I think center was the best option of the Sixers oscillating between like point and center. <laughs> um, I think that he would benefit from like easing off of like any, not any and all expectations, but just being put in a position where he's like kind of within, he's like within this system, you know, he doesn't have sure. to like, the, no, nothing really has to flow through him, which does sound like a cop out. Cause it's like, yeah, I don't want plays to run <laughs> through him and I don't want like, the defense to run through him. But I think, you know, on any given fresh start, which is I think what he needs like above and beyond anything, regardless of like, cause of what you said about the Sixers, just like fit wise, that's completely apt, but also it will just continue to deteriorate his self-esteem and confidence mm-hmm. the longer he stays there. And I just don't understand still why the Sixers were just hell-bent. They're like, these are our two guys, and we're just going to mash them together and force yeah. this fit. And just never saw, like, you, you. they had to just pick one, you know? And I think it was that situation of, like, not wanting to give up both of these players. Anyway, um, yeah, so I think, like, yeah, at a, I'd like him at a stretch four. I don't know. He would be very complimentary to OG. I think, you know, like where OG is sort of headed in his position. Mm-hmm. But I mean, granted, OG has a much better handle uh, and like those kinds of capabilities than I think Simmons does at this point. But all that said, like a lot of that kind of stuff can change when you get put on a team that like they, that is their sole focus. You know what I mean? You've seen like yeah. the, de- the developmental capabilities of Toronto. You see what happens when just like, you know, these kind of these like even look at like someone like Ken Birch or just like the addition like Gary Trent Jr. These are guys who like didn't see a ton of minutes where they the situations that they came from. Mm-hmm. Yes, there was opportunities for them to reap those minutes with Toronto when they arrived, but also there were the kind of support systems in place to develop them so that when they did see the floor, they weren't shell-shocked, you know. Like Ben Simmons, that's the thing. Like sometimes like he's a star, <laughs> he's a star NBA player, but there are times when he's on the floor that like his reluctance makes him look shell-shocked so I think the first step would just to be to get him like out of that mentality yeah I mean I guess yeah if he's playing like the four I mean there's not much stretch I suppose because he's uh you know 
refusing to shoot everything. Right. But hey, maybe uh, they teach him to do that. I don't know. But, but you, you can work some stuff from the elbows, things like that. Do this sort of Gasol thing, I suppose. And then I guess in this scenario, you're just kind of throwing Siakam as like the five in this sort of construction, Katie. Like I, that makes sense to me in terms of you know pairing him with a five who can shoot and kind of space it out and clear out the space makes a lot of sense. It would require Siakam to kind of bounce back to his three-point shooting ways of the couple years prior but you know I I think there's something to that I also think like I'm I'm like two years removed from thinking Ben Simmons could just be like Giannis light if you just surrounded him with shooters I don't think that's quite the case anymore I think there's been so much sort of deterioration of his offensive game that it's maybe not the same Mm -hmm. but you know I, I think it's it's difficult with Simmons because the skills he does have on offense are ones where he has the ball in his hand and is passing to people. Like that is his number one sort of utility on that end of the floor. And so it kind of requires him to be in a role where the ball is going to be in his hand sometimes. Cause if not, you're just, you're sticking him in the dunker spot and he's passing up open dunks in game seven. So that's sort of the trade off there. And so, yeah, it's tricky to find a role where he's both hidden and sort of insulated enough to, sort of make up for his deficiencies, but also to get the most out of what he does well. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a Ouroboros or whatever, the, the fucking the snake that eats its ass. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce that word. I'm stupid, but um, it's a, it's tricky. So I think for me, it's just simple enough. You just stick him at center and you have him play multi-positional defense. Like I think you could play like a gorgeous switching defense with um, Siakam, Ananobi, and Simmons playing to 3-4-5. No one's ever scoring on that front court. All of them offer enough rim protection to kind of make up for the lack of one central rim protector. You've got, at the point of attack, Fred Van Vliet, potentially Jalen Suggs, if that's the way the Raptors go with this pick. And I'm assuming if they're going to make some sort of play for Simmons, it's because they didn't get Evan Mobley in the draft. And it's a matter of, okay, how do we fill out the rest of the roster to kind of balance things out now that we've got Jalen Suggs on board or Jalen Green, I suppose, too. Suggs seems more likely to fall to the Raptors at four. And frankly, I think Suggs fits like a freaking glove. But um, yeah, so that that's, I think, the scenario where you're looking at this. And so you go through the draft, you get Suggs, and then you're sitting there like, okay, how do we finish off this roster going into next season? The center position's the big question. Are we going to go in with Ken Birch being the starter? We've got this Kyle Lowry situation to figure out. Okay, let's call up the Sixers and try to do a sign-in trade that involves Kyle Lowry sending him to his hometown and a team that he can contend with and trying to sort of capitalize on Ben Simmons being at the nadir of his value. So we're going to get into the idea of potentially trading for him in one second here and what we'd be comfortable uh, as people who cover and look at the Raptors and, uh, you know, do that whole thing. We're going to get into that and sort of hypothesize some trades and what we'd be comfortable with. And, you know, probably it'll end up being stuff that uh, Sixers fans will be like, hey, that's not enough. Ben Simmons is an all-NBA player. It's the beauty of fake trades. No one ever agrees. But we'll get to that in one second here. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. I think you can probably go bet on where Ben Simmons is going to play his next NBA game. If not, you can, uh, I'm sure they'll add it at some point here as the uh, sweepstakes heats up as we head into the offseason here. It feels like a certainty he's going to get traded. And if you want to go bet on that or the baseball that's going on, NBA, NHL playoffs, UFC, MMA, whatever it might be, Bet Online is the place to go. 
Before the next game, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great supporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest info. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or sign- and sign up today to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That means if you put in 100 bucks, you get 150 bucks to play with out of the gate. That's a great deal. Just use the promo code LOCKEDON, all one word, at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Katie, before we get into the idea of trading for Ben Simmons and what the package might look like, just a reminder to the listeners out there, we got a full loaded week coming up. I'm going to have some episodes pre-recorded because I'm going away later in the week, but you can expect over the next four days, a two-part episode with Dakota Schmidt, who runs Ridiculous Upside at the G League site for SB Nation. He's going to come on, and we're going to talk about Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga and their uh, you know, their, their prospect credentials as the Raptors look at them, potentially at number four. Later in the week, we're going to be joined by Cindy Robinson of Locked On Pac-12, a USC grad, to talk all about Evan Mobley, and we're also going to have Stephen Carr of Locked On Gonzaga on to talk about Jalen Suggs. So you're going to get the lowdown on all of these prospects from people who have watched them repeatedly throughout the year. It's going to be great. So that's Tuesday through Friday, already planned out, so keep an eye out for that. But let's get back to the Ben Simmons talk. Katie, looking at the roster, I think it's pretty clear that if a Simmons thing's going to happen, it's going to begin with a Kyle Lowry sign-and-trade. And that's difficult to sort of digest. I think, obviously, if the Raptors go for a Jalen Suggs, I think that kind of signals that they're ready to kind of turn the page. As much as I would like Kyle Lowry back next season, it's going to take two to tango. And maybe Kyle doesn't want to come back and sort of compete for minutes in a loaded backcourt. Maybe he just wants to go somewhere where he can go win a title. I like the idea of Lowry sticking around anyway and, you know, sort of doing the tutelage thing of a Jalen Suggs and Malachi Flynn together as they kind of move into this next phase. And I think you could really, really be damn good next season if you were able to keep Kyle Lowry around. But in this scenario, let's assume he's on his way out the door. He's probably the starting point for a sign and trade to the Sixers for Ben Simmons, and that's probably not enough for the Sixers. Daryl Morey, as much as he just got fleeced not so long ago in the Chris Paul trade with the Thunder and the Rockets, he's not someone who tends to sell low. He's not someone who tends to lose a lot of trades. And I don't really see him giving up Ben Simmons, who I guess if you squint has star quality, Daryl Morey's favorite thing. I don't know if it's just a straight up flip of Ben Simmons for a 36-year-old Kyle Lowry. will be 36 by next year's playoffs. As much as Kyle Lowry's still great, I just don't know if that's going to be a Daryl Morey type move. And so the Raptors, in theory, would have to add more stuff to it. Katie, what's the sort of package that you've kicked around in your head here as, you know, something you'd be comfortable with if you're the Raptors offering up to the Sixers in exchange for Simmons? I have a feeling we're both going to have like a point of, no, that's too much and you kind of go a different way. But what's your sort of hypothetical package you would offer up to Ben Sim- or to the Sixers for Ben Simmons in a sign and trade? I mean, I'll be honest when you, I mean, I know it would take Kyle Lowry mm-hmm. in a lot of these, but that's when my interest wanes <laughs> um, and goes out the window. So it's a pretty short-lived exercise for me, but I guess if I'm forcing uh, forcing the thought exercise. Let's just assume then... Kyle Lowry is, is saying, I want to be in Philly. You know, Toronto's been lovely, mm-hmm. but I just want to go to Philly. And this is a way to appease Kyle Lowry. <laughs> okay. Um, sure. <laughs> I mean... Yeah. Okay. So you've got Lowry. Um, you're going to look at like who, who you want sticking around playing alongside Simmons. And I don't think, I think to clarify, like Simmons has not become like the star piece of the team. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, if anything, I think they look much the same as they do now and that you don't really have one kind of all-star caliber player, you know, like it's, that's not the way that I think the Raptors have really ever been structured, say for the mm-hmm. Kawhi sure. roster. Um, 
Dude, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to trade OG. Here, I'll tell you who I don't want to trade. I don't want to trade OG. Um, I don't think you give up Fred. For all the scenarios that we had been kind of hypothetically running, you need Pascal. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't want to trade him. It's tough, man. Yeah. I, was like, get, I would argue yeah, that like, Fred, OG, and, and Siakam all have a way higher trade value right now than Simmons does yes. after the playoffs we just yes. saw. So like you're you're not going to sell... You're not going to pay high for a guy you're buying low on, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, is it a situation where you flip them like a Chris Boucher and then, I don't know, like a Stanley Johnson? <laughs> He's, his contract's up anyway, so you can't right. throw him in. I well, mean, so- I, like knowing Maury, he would probably demand one of those three, right? Like he would want to stack him Van Vliet or oh, yeah. an OB. And then Masai says, okay, we're going to just call Rashawn Holmes instead uh, <laughs> and get our center that way. Like, I, I think the situation, it requires, like, the Blazers, it requires the other teams that have, like, the obvious packages to, like, get cold feet or not really want to do it. Um, and so, like, the Blazers would have to say, you know what, we don't really see the fit with Simmons next to Nurkic, and we like McCollum, and we can figure out something else to get a guy with a higher value who fits a little bit better than Simmons does right now with McCollum. And so it requires that, you know, the Cavs probably have a package, like a Colin Sexton-centered package to throw at them. And, you know, Simmons probably fits a little bit there too, especially if they get Mobley in the draft. Like Simmons next to like a stretchy five kind of makes some sense. And so maybe that's the move for Cleveland. But let's just assume that the market's cool. Like the Sixers are still going to want stuff that help them win, right? So Lowry's an obvious, and I think Boucher's got to be in there as well. Like I think... If you if Lowry signs like a two year fifty million dollar contract, I believe Lowry plus Boucher is basically an exact match for Simmons' salary coming in, and so that's kind of been the framework I've been working off of is Lowry plus Boucher, and then from there, what else do you have to throw in? I think, you know, for me, I'd be comfortable throwing in like a future protected first, like twenty twenty three or something like that. You just you know say hey, you know, well, this would be lottery protected, but it's still a first for you to kind of work with and use as a trade piece as you look to add more stuff to your team. And, you know, if they don't want to pick, maybe Malachi Flynn gets thrown in as like, a, hey, this guy can become like a reliable backup point guard for you. I mean, might be the best point guard on your team from day one, uh, <laughs> considering I guess they're getting Lowry in this situation, too. So that won't be the case. But, um, you know, I think it's got to be stuff that can help the Sixers win right now and like kind of fill out their bench rotation a little bit. And if you're the Sixers and you're sitting there and you're like, OK, well, we can roll out a Lowry, Danny Green, Seth Curry, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid you know, starting five, that's not bad. Then you throw in Shake Milton, Furkan Korkmaz, Chris Boucher off the bench. You know, Boucher kind of replaces Dwight as like the high energy dude, except he offers, you know, good things on the floor and is fun to watch and is not just a, a bowling ball of madness and, you know, Dwight Howardness. And so maybe that's enough. But after that, I kind of just say, you know what, it's not really worth it. As much as I think Ben Simmons could kind of fit with the Raptors and as much as I think you know, was a Van Vliet, Suggs, you know, uh, OG Siakam Simmons lineup actually does kind of look pretty damn good and kind of good two ways. I don't know if I'm giving up more than that just because, you know, it's a buy low candidate. You're not going to, you know, throw all your chips in for a guy who very clearly has exhibited, a, you know, that he's at the lowest part of his value, that he just had like an awful, awful playoff run where a lot of his weaknesses were exposed. I think you're like trying to do a buy low and if it gets to the point where you're not buying low anymore i think the raptors just hang up the phone and say you know what bye-bye we'll we'll go find some other center 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think even like when you mentioned yeah. Malachi, like that to me felt like a little too high <laughs> of a price, to be honest, right. um, at this point. I mean, mm-hmm. we should have prefaced it all with saying like, this is a thought exercise only. And I don't think oh, either yeah. of us are so sold on the idea of Simmons coming to Toronto that like, as you said, you're not giving up everything. You're really, and you're not really going out of your way to try and accommodate the Sixers in this situation. No, it's an opportunistic thing, right? It's similar to like the exact sort of perfect storm that made Kawhi Leonard available for the price that he was. You're trying to sort of capitalize on a team that's kind of in a bad negotiating position. And if you can't do that, then it's not really worth the squeeze. Um, by the way, I'm going to have our pal Sixers Adam, Adam Aronson, uh, on at some point in the next couple of weeks here. I'm actually going to throw him uh, all these trade offer ideas and see what he thinks. <laughs> and I'm expecting Sixers fans to say, hell no, uh, <laughs> that's not enough because that's the rigmarole of fake trades all the time is, uh, you know, one team says, one, one fan of one team says, this is the thing. This is perfect. The other fan of the other team says, this is stupid. This would never happen. And then it usually means it's probably kind of fair because, you know, if you've got agreement on a deal, it's probably not, uh, you're probably not on the right track when it comes to fake trade construction. Um, Katie, do you have any final thoughts on Ben Simmons at all here on the Raptors and their potential sort of fit together before we wrap up? Uh, I just hope wherever one, I hope he has to leave Philadelphia. He's got to get out. I think wherever he yeah. lands, um, I hope they are keen to help him make some adjustments uh, and push him. I think where he needs to be pushed. And I think you know a strong having a strong point guard already very embedded on the team will be crucial. Which is one of the mm-hmm. reasons why I am a little bit reluctant. You know, he would work so well with Lowry. <laughs> you know, and, and to have Lowry yeah. <laughs> um, as that kind of asset. And just like wealth of franchise knowledge um, or a player like Larry. So that's why I don't know that it's a, the best idea that you flip Larry for him. It's almost like the Sixers should have traded yeah, for Kyle exactly. Larry. It's almost like uh, <laughs> it was a perfect situation for him to fit into. Alas. Um, <laughs> but hey, at least they held on to Matisse Thibel in his many, many late game crucial fouls on three point shooters. Yes. I mean, to be like to be frank, I'm not feeling so grim about the Raptors as I was like midseason. You know, I think there were some really key uh, late season adjustments that we got to see small flourishes of, um, and they didn't really have the runway yeah. whatsoever to work those out. So I'm not in a desperate situation. Like fix, yeah, you want to fix the center position, but I'm also like very heartened by Birch. So I I think it's a great position for the team to be in, whether they go after someone like Simmons or not, like whoever they decide to go after this summer, because you've just got a great draft pick. You know, like you've just made some crucial adjustments. You know what the, you know, the shape the team is that, you know what the shape is that you want the team to take going into next season. And you want to look for complementary players Mm -hmm. that can add to that and not limit that. So it's a, it's a, it's a much more clairvoyant position, I think, than Toronto was in last season. So, you know, I'm not Mm -hmm. like, I don't think they should be in a rush to pull the trigger on something that doesn't necessarily fit. Yeah, the emergence of Birch combined with the luck of moving up to number four, which I can't get over how freaking huge that is, just with the way this draft is set up, they're in a perfect spot, and it kind of, as we talked about the night of the draft lottery, their options are now sort of endless, they can go so many different ways, and... Yeah, they're not in a position where they need to be forced into anything. They don't have to feel like, oh, we got to settle for this guy. We have to pay the price for Simmons because he's our only path to adding more talent to the roster. 
Again, I think they could totally make it work with Simmons. I think they could run some fun bench lineups where he's just surrounded by all the shooters and like kind of tests what the Giannis theory could be if he's able to just kind of run his own team with space around him. There's lots of different possibilities there, and I wouldn't hate it, and I'm kind of talking myself more and more into the fit as we go along here, but there are so many other options on the table for the team that there's no need to force a move and just settle because... They could do nothing. They could bring back Ken Birch. They could draft whoever, you know, Suggs or Green or, or Mobley at two or at four, sorry. They could try to bring back, back Kyle. They could maybe not, whatever happens there. But whatever the iteration of the team is next season, it's going to be good. It's going to be back in the playoff conversation, regardless of what the moves are. And so that gives them the liberty to kind of look for the right moves and, you know, find those those sort of under market additions that they that, that Masai has been known for over the years so it's a good spot to be in for sure and Katie I, I really didn't think I would spend uh, you know 40 minutes talking about Ben Simmons and his potential fit on the Raptors at any point ever uh, <laughs> it just was not something that came to me but I've been thinking more about it over the last couple weeks and I'm glad that you joined to just sort of talk it through and I don't think it's totally that crazy an idea if the circumstances are entirely right so and maybe i mean the fact that we're talking about a guy who needs an exactly perfect environment around him maybe is a red flag but you know the raptors are pretty good at creating perfect environments so uh that feels like a good place to leave it off katie do you have anything you want to plug before we go here uh not really uh i am gonna continue on with the exit series that i'm doing on my newsletter basketball feeling so that's on Substack. if you'd like to read Hell yeah. Um, Katie and I also talked at length about the Sixers and Ben Simmons on Thursday's episode of uh, Basketball, so go listen to that. Subscribe to our Patreon page and all that stuff. Um, Katie, thanks so much for coming on. It was lovely chatting. You can find me at WoodleySean on Twitter, of course. You can listen to previous episodes of Locked on Raptors. we got lots of draft stuff on the way. We've already done a lot of draft stuff. If you want to go back and listen to the episodes we did with Raphael Barlow talking about the guys at the top of the draft, it's all good times. So, uh, you know, we're, we're like a month away now. It's going to be basically draft coverage from here until the 29th. And it's going to be awesome. Um, you can also check out my other stuff covering the Canadian Elite Basketball League at plus.cebl.ca. If you subscribe to CEBL Plus, it's like $17.99 for the year. You get access to game highlights, full games, and also you get access to my weekly show, CEBL Weekly, where I'm just talking into a camera, wearing suit jackets. It's fun. Uh, and I highly recommend you check it out. Uh, the CEBL rocks. Elam ending is great. It last yesterday... We're recording this on Sunday. On Saturday, there was like an incredible Elam ending finish in the league between Hamilton and Edmonton. Super duper fun. And that was followed up by the Suns and Clippers taking 21 minutes to play 65 seconds of basketball. And uh, it was really nice, a, highlight, a nice highlight of why the Elam ending rocks and why it should maybe be basketball's future. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you again on Tuesday as we dig into Jonathan Kaminga and Jalen Green. We'll probably do Green first, actually, then Kaminga on Wednesday with the Schmidt of Ridiculous Upside. We'll talk to you Tuesday. Bye-bye.